1: welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now my guest today is Danielle McLaughlin. Danielle, I think it's fair to say, is one of a, a growing list of Irish writers, most of them female, who are making a, a splash in the literary world right across the globe. Her debut novel, The Art of Falling, is shortlisted for the Dublin Literary Award, one of only six books that are shortlisted, and hers is the only Irish entry. The award includes a €100,000 prize, but probably I'd say for a lot of the writers, just as important. It's highly regarded and therefore, most likely, um, any publicity around it is very good for sales, which of course is the main thing for most authors in terms of selling their books. Now, while The Art of Falling is Danielle's debut novel, she's already an established short story writer, having won a whole host of prizes for various stories over the last decade or so. And most of these were collected in her collection Dinosaurs and Other Planets. Danielle, who previously worked as a solicitor, lives in Cork and that is where the art of falling is set. Danielle, you're very welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks so much. Um, Thanks for having me on.
1: Danielle, first of all, congratulations on the shortlisting for the Dublin Literary Award. I'm curious about one aspect of these things, Danielle. Before getting word officially and I suppose not likely, that was before the public announcement, did you have any inclination that you might be in the running to be on the shortlist?
2: Well, there was a long list which was um, announced, I think maybe in January. So I was actually really surprised um, to, to you know, to get to the long list was absolutely wonderful. And I had no expectation at all that I would be shortlisted. Um, so you could have knocked me over with a feather when I learned. Now, I did hear, um, you know, I was told in advance of the official announcement, um, but you know, had to had to keep it quiet then bef- before the shortlist was announced.
1: Yeah, and I, I can well believe your reaction. Um, having said that, uh, there was a lot of praise. I think it's it's been widely reviewed. Uh, your book and it has got a very good reception. Just, I suppose, just for the readers, just to give them a flavour without obviously giving too much away of The Art of Falling, set in Cork, um, starts out with have a couple, Nessa and Philip. Marriage is in a bit of trouble, middle-aged, middle-class, she's an artist, he's an architect. Uh, they of a daughter in school, there's some issues there. And that's very much the setting you might find in a, a lot of novels in terms of a family story setting out. However, that is only one, um, what you might call, highway of, of, of the two highways in the book. The other one being, in terms of Ness's professional life as an artist, she's um, involved with a gallery looking to have a retrospective of this long dead, well, he's dead a while anyway, this artist. Uh, Robert Locke. Uh, now he made a chalk sculpture that is, um, is very interesting altogether and I think people reading the book will find it's a fascinating background to it. Anyway that became very famous and Nessa is back and forth to West Cork a lot of the time and I have to say some of the settings really there's a cinematic feel to, uh, to the background there. Anyway, as somebody else enters into the scene who knew this long-dead artist and has a very different version of how things might have been. Those are the two kind of main strands I'd suggest in the novel. But there's a lot of subplots there. And one thing, Danielle, that strikes me, um the way in which you weaved those subplots into the main narrative, the, uh, there's a huge knack in that itself without it appearing clunky and it doesn't appear anyway like that.
2: Thank you. Um, that weaving was something that happened over a very long time. So when I think back to where the idea for the art of falling started, it goes back to 2012. A workshop I did with the writer Nuala O'Connor. Um, so it was a the book was a long time in the making, and I did a lot of drafts. And I'm lucky too. My, my agent is great. Um, she gives me a lot of feedback on my work, as did my editors.
1: And you started writing it, I think, in the first person and then switched to the third person. Did that that help you in a big way?
2: It did. Um, I think when I was writing it in the first person, um, I was being quite mean, I think, perhaps, to my main character. I think possibly I was channeling elements of self-hatred onto the page, you know, when I was using that... My voice. Um, and it was actually my agent, Lucy Locke, who suggested to me that, you know, why not try it in the third person? And when I moved to the third person, there was that shift in the voice. And I think I was fairer to Nessa, my main character. Um, I was a bit kinder to her. And I think I showed her a bit more compassion because, you know, she's quite a flawed character. She has made her share of mistakes in her life, but she's also cleaning up after other people who have, you know, caused mistakes and and caused a lot of hassle. And she's a survivor and you know she's managing as best she can. So I think the move to to third person actually gave me that that little bit of distance and balance. And um, yeah, it, it it worked better on the page.
1: Certainly did, yeah, no, it it it, it 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 comes across very well, I have to say. Yourself, Daniel, um, you had a bit of a roundabout way to uh, writing at this level. You worked for a long time as a solicitor.
2: Yes, for years. Writing, for me, it it's a midlife career swerve, you know, and it wasn't anything I had planned. Um, I didn't have a word of fiction published until I was into my 40s. Um, I was, as you say, practising as a solicitor and enjoying it. Um, law had actually been my dream since I was quite young, since I was a teenager. That was what I wanted to do, and I and I got to do it. And I was very fortunate in that. But I became ill, very ill, very suddenly, and I had to stop work and transfer my clients to another practice. And it was while I was sick, and I was sick for a while, um, that I started writing. and it ended up that I I never went back to legal practice. And that's, I don't know, maybe over 12 years ago now at this stage anyway.
1: Was it that when you found writing, you had no big want to go back into the law?
2: Well, it's hard to say. And, you know, in terms of going back to law, I would never say never. I do think the longer it goes on that I don't return to practice, the less likely it is. I think that because I found law to be a very a very creative career and one where I was always working with words and drafting and considering meanings and definitions and nuances and stories. Um, You know, that was a very creative way of, you know, filling my working days. And maybe if that hadn't been taken away, maybe I would never have become a writer. So I think when it was gone, Certainly, the writing filled that creative void, and then I really loved writing when I, um, when I got into it.
1: I'm just curious in that, prior to becoming ill and, and and changing your circumstances in terms of work, did you ever wonder about it? Like when when you were there working full time as a solicitor, the idea of writing was it ever something that was always there, or is it just something that you discovered as you went along because of circumstances?
2: Well, I always loved reading, so I would always have been big into books since I was very small. And I was fortunate my parents got us books when we were small. So we always had books in the house. So reading was a huge thing um, for me anyway. And actually, I would say it's one of the tips I would give to, you know, writers starting out, I would say, read, read, read. And I would over the years have tried to, to write fiction. But, you know, I never understood that it's like anything else it can be learned and you have to work at it and so much of it is editing so much of it is the rewriting I think I had this idea that once I got the story down on the page the first time that was it and then if it wasn't any good it just meant that I wasn't a real writer whereas I had no comprehension that actually you know you might have to write this another 40 times before it approaches a point where it's publishable and that actually there's people and places and ways of learning how to improve this and like any other job or I suppose you can just go go and learn and practice and put in the time. So once that clicked with me, um yeah it was but you know it was both a hopeful moment I think because I thought, yeah, you know, if if it all it takes us time and hard work, I'm prepared to put in both of those things. So this is great. I, I can be a writer. And at the same time, it was slightly daunting in that I understood fully by then just how many drafts it takes to actually get a piece right. So there's enough, I suppose I learned that there's an awful lot of slog involved. But once you're happy as a writer to accept that slog, then, you know.
1: Yeah, the, per- the perseverance, I suppose, is a huge part of, of, of rewriting. They say that, that writing is rewriting. That how, I suppose, you go from that first draft to the finished product is the heart and soul of the whole process.
2: It is, and I, I'm i lucky that I have a great writing group. So, I've been in the same writing group since 2011, and we meet um, once a fortnight, and we offer feedback on each other's work, there is four of us, so that has been invaluable to me in in developing my craft as a writer. And also, I suppose you know you mentioned perseverance there, which is so core, I think, to to working as as a writer. Having other people to just to share the the disappointments with, as well as the good news, is crucial, I think, to to keeping on going and. In the group, um, we're honest in our responses to each other's work, but we're always kind as well. It's a very safe, supportive environment for sharing work. So that has made a very big difference to me in actually finishing pieces and getting them out into the world.
1: Yeah, that whole, I I know what you mean, that whole idea of support there that... um... And it is You might think it's terrible And there's someone there to Tell you By the way It's not terrible at all And what have you That, that it, 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 I presume it, it, it can be a huge It can be a huge help The other thing That strikes me Daniel And you've probably No interest in it But um, a, a person with your gifts And having the inside track On the legal world Just I'd say There's a, a massive book Of uh, fiction in there the, Fiction could be used To convey All sorts of secrets That are operable In that world
2: <laughs> yeah, I can't remember who said it, but someone said that fiction is, you know, the greatest vehicle for truth ever invented, something along those lines. Um, I've never written anything along the lines of crime or legal yeah. thriller. Who knows? Maybe maybe I will someday. Um yeah. It's, you know, it's something that people have mentioned to me. How come I having spent so long practicing law that I don't use, you know, courtroom settings then for my books. And um I don't know why why that is. Um, I think law provides loads and loads of stories, though loads of material. And you know sometimes if I'm teaching workshops, I'll mention to the students that they need never be short of an idea for a story if they can get their hands on a copy of the law reports. You know, and, and the law reports, for, for anyone who doesn't who isn't familiar with them, they're collections of um, legal judgments that are put together for year by year, and the stories in there are absolutely remarkable because you know you're. You're getting details of people's lives when perhaps they were at their lowest point. And you're also hearing things that they might never have revealed to anybody if they hadn't absolutely had to. And because law deals so much with evidence and specifics, you're getting just as remarkable those pure gold nuggets that are so good for fiction. So I lo- when I was studying law, I loved reading the law reports because there were remarkable, remarkable stories there.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that myself, just my, in in journalism covering various stories, some of the judgments and that you read and as you say, the, the personal detail and very correctly, as you said, people at a particular point in life very vulnerable in, in a in a lot of ways. And all, all this stuff has to come out. It is, it is uh, there's all human life there, no question about that.
0: To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honouring highly requested new colours for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I see, Daniel, you've mentioned somewhere that as
1: an adult you were diagnosed on the autism spectrum. What was that like?
2: Well, I suppose by the time I was diagnosed, I had kind of figured out myself anyway that I probably was autistic. So it wasn't a surprise. I did actually go and get a second opinion. And the second opinion also said, yes, I was on the autism spectrum. And, you know, it wasn't that um, I doubted the first one, but because I was being diagnosed as an adult and having come through my whole life um, without hearing this word, you know, in relation to myself, um, I I just wanted, I suppose, that extra bit of of confirmation. Um, It has been, I think it's good to know what we can about ourselves because it does help me understand why some things are challenging For me,
1: that aspect of your personality, how do you think it feeds into your writing life?
2: Well, I think that perhaps, and I don't, I can't speak for everyone who's autistic, Mm. okay, because you know, everyone's different, different. but I do think that perhaps the fact that I'm less sure of social situations and perhaps have quite high social anxiety and. I'm watch so I'm watching people and events playing out all the time in very, very close detail. So if I manage to successfully get a character down on the page in great detail, it's not necessarily because I'm good at understanding people, it's possibly the opposite. It's possibly because I find it difficult sometimes to understand that I'm watching things very, very closely and perhaps coming at them from a slightly different angle. And that slightly different angle of the outsider, which perhaps is, you know, inbuilt in me a little, um, is useful, I think, for writing fiction.
1: Oh, I can well imagine that capacity in one way to be the quiet observer and somebody who's a quiet observer is going to take in far more. And I suppose to that extent, to the extent that fiction is a reflection of Human life, (laughs) that's a a great asset to have in that respect.
2: And, you know, I tend not to talk an awful lot about the fact that I'm on the autism spectrum, not because I have any um, stigma at all about it. I think if I felt it would do more good for me to talk about it, I would speak more. But, you know, I'm conscious that there are so many parents trying to get... um, you know services for their kids, a lot of families who have been let down, who are desperately in need of support and I part of me thinks well you know i would I would prefer that they got um more attention rather than me. Talking about my book, if you if you know
1: what I mean, I, I do of course, absolutely, totally understand. I know I know exactly what you mean in terms of parents and that. The other phenomenon, of course, is um, that it's not unusual. It's become increasingly the case of number of people have come across who were diagnosed in adulthood and, and and they're leading good lives, perfect lives. You know, there's no um, there's no fallout in that respect. And I, I do of course know what you mean. Now, one aspect to your writing that I've also noticed there, Daniel. When you write the first draft, you do so on longhand?
2: I do. I have to start everything in a notebook um, with a pen or pencil. And it's really only further down the line that things um, will will make their way onto the computer. And sometimes it could be weeks or months later. So something will stay in a notebook for a long time before it goes onto the computer.
1: And... Prior to the novel, of course, and I have to say, I your your dinosaurs and other planets, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, it struck it didn't just strike me. It's quite obvious from the prizes you've won, you have a particular facility with the short story. Um, I I just thinking about it, there Daniel, when I looked at some of the short story writers, th- those who went on to, for it to feature very prominently in their career, people like. Frank O'Connor, Sean O'Fhelon, uh, William Trevor, Elizabeth Bowen, they're all from Cork like yourself.
2: Yeah, Cork is um Cork is a great place for writers, and I, I would say that obviously, wouldn't I? But yeah, you know, <laughs> I think at the moment there is an amazing buzz around Cork for writers. So many um people writing in Cork at the moment and so much good stuff being produced. And the short
1: story itself. Um Most it would appear to me that for a lot of people these days, the short story is the stepping stone towards the novel, the idea of short stories featuring prominently throughout a writer's career, it doesn't seem to be there to the same extent as previously. Now, I presume a certain amount of that is. It's hard enough to make a living at all out of writing, and commercially, short stories are simply not great um, prospects one way or the other. But apart from that, uh, it's a very different art, isn't it, than the novel?
2: They're two very different things, yeah. Um, I wrote short stories um, before... I started writing the novel. I continue to write both. And there there are things that you get from one that, that you don't find in the other, you know. So as a writer, I like writing both side by side. So at the moment, I have maybe three or four short stories under construction um, while I'm writing a new novel. You know, one thing I did notice with the novel is that there's more opportunity to delve maybe into a character's past um, so we can perhaps tease out a little bit more what circumstances led to making them the person who's making the decisions we see them making on the page today. So um, there is that wider, that wider scope or wider canvas of the novel, I suppose.
1: And did, did the novel begin as a short story?
2: Uh, it did and it actually in my notebooks was a short story for a, for a couple of years so the short story was called the chalk sculpture and um that piece of art the chalk sculpture um you know it it's one of the main pieces of my fictional sculptor, Robert Locke's body of work in the novel. And I tried writing that short story from various angles for a couple of years, but it was never right as a short story. And then I was away on a writing retreat at Kilreelig down Balanskelligs and i um, I had a little breakthrough there because I had some characters who I felt belonged in a novel and I thought, well, okay, we'll put these characters into this chalk sculpture short story and let them walk around in it a bit and um, see what happens. And it it gelled from there.
1: You don't kill really I know I know that place well, um, Danielle. Uh, down in So Kerry uh, up, up the side of a mountain effectively a, a farmer famine uh, village it would strike you and completely away from the rest of human life I'd say it would certainly strike you as a place that if you were looking for a bit of solitude and inspiration it's um, you could get a few good days up there
2: It's an absolutely fantastic place to write um, I've certainly got great work done there there's there's just a feel to the plate. There's kind of a creative soup to the atmosphere, if you like. And there's a sense of being able to tap into lots of different things. And of course, it's just magical anyway. They're so close to the cliffs and, you know, even, or maybe especially in storms, um, it's wonderful with, you know, the wind outside and you're in this little (laughs) cottage just by yourself. And I think, you know, Writing retreats where I'm by myself, I get a lot more work done than writing retreats that have a more social um, design to them because I think I I write, you know, well when I just have time when I'm um, not getting about.
1: I know the way, yeah. yeah. Now, one of those stories I referenced, I think it was for the the Sunday Times short story you won, uh, A Partial Life of the Saved. Now, I have to say it's this not trying to flatter you, right? But this is one of those stories that sort of blew me away when I read it. That as stories can have that effect, because I suppose maybe because it's a, a kind of a, a relatively brief experience. But um, I was just looking back at it there, and some of the writing, the the the, the premise, of course, is is uh, this man Connor is uh, going to see his father. I think he's on the west coast of the US, and his father was very ill, and he's asks his ex wife to come along. The the father didn't know that they were divorced. And as a premise, is fantastic. But it's just tiny passage here. I just thought it, it, it summed up things a bit. This is Connor, the main protagonist. He, he, he's flying and he's, he's a bit uncomfortable flying. And uh, Connor gripped his beer more tightly. The man next to him was a barley, red-faced man from Delaware who exuded heat like one of those bricks the Victorians had used to warm their beds. Delaware man worked for a company that installed panic rooms, and he detailed the intricacies of these spaces—every strip lit passageway, every trom lull in a wheezy patter halfway between sales pitch and sonnet. Just a bit of thought to that, when I would say Daniel, beautiful passage.
2: Thank you, thank you very
1: much. I, I'm just wondering, a story like that. Now, I—I'm I, assuming a lot of other people. Obviously, you won the prize for <laughs> it. Was very regard. Do you ever look at something like that and wonder, is there a novel in that?
2: Um mostly no. Mostly by the time I get to the, the end of a short story, I'm in a way sick and tired of it. And I'm glad to be out the other side of it, and I don't want to go back to it again. You know, it it will be um it will feel like an achievement to have got to the end of it. And yeah, I, I rarely go back and um revisit characters I find they they've said what they have to say you know um if yeah. there if there is anything so for example in in the art of falling um the mother-daughter relationship there that was partly sparked their dynamic from a mother-daughter relationship in one of the short stories dinosaurs and other planets so sometimes an aspect of a story will come into something else um, but for the most part uh, when a short story is finished, then that, that's it.
1: It's done. Are you working on anything now?
2: Well, I've finished an early draft of another novel, so I'm just starting starting into a rewrite of that now. So the next couple of months will be spent rewriting. I've a couple of other, um, I've a couple of short stories that are under construction that hopefully I'll be able to move along. Um, alongside the rewriting process as well.
1: Great stuff. Uh, Danielle, listen, good luck uh, when the award is announced. We'll hope for the best, but to have reached this level, I think it's a fantastic achievement altogether, particularly with a debut novel. And thank you very much for joining us today.
2: It's been a pleasure and thanks for having me on.
1: And the book, folks, The Art of Falling, is published by John Murray. I have to say, I would very much recommend it. You will not be disappointed. I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again soon
0: and keep it going in the meantime. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.